All right. People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. And we've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many, uh... 40-year-old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. Be nice. That ain't working. I want you to be nice. That ain't working. And you'll both be nice. <laughs> so much as my uh, wife was a giant. But, um... I want you to be nice. Until it's time to not be nice. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure that's the way you do it. (laughs) (laughs) The Reeves Company. All right, crack open the tent of Genesee and watch the pictures as they travel through your neighbor's Wi-Fi. It's The Reeves Company. I'm Steve Reeves, the bull of American broadcasting, alongside the great Chris Morganti. This week... uh, our movie of the week of the week is called Hotline from 1982 and stars Linda Carter. Yes. Now, uh, Chris, before we get into Linda Carter and Hotline, you want to uh, tell the folks about something that happened to you this week? Well, yeah, I, I got stung by uh, either a wasp or a yellow jacket. And uh, Now, how are you typically when you get stung by, uh, with venom? Well, I remember as a kid getting stung a lot, and it was no big deal. Right. Um, Why a lot? What was going on? No, I just, I mean, over the course of 20-something years, you get stung a few times. It was never an issue. I got stung like maybe six, seven years ago, and I had an allergic reaction. That was on my legs. This time I got stung on on my hand, and Steve, my hand blew up to... Two to three times its normal size, Ooh. and when that happens, you can't you can't move your fingers because the joints are too swollen. It's very encumbering. Yeah, and it, it hurts when there's that much blood, you know, whatever. So, thirty hours in, I go to a doctor and they put me on a regimen of uh, steroids and uh, antihistamines, which I'm fine now. So you know that works, and uh, thank God for modern medicine. Um. But the thing is, uh, antihistamines, I don't know if you take these at all. Have you ever had an occasion to take these? Sometimes they put them in, like, if you get a cold medicine, it's like a whole bunch of stuff rolled into one. It has that in there because it puts you to sleep. But it's the, it's the worst, most uncomfortable sleep you'll ever – it's like, like fever dreams the entire time you're asleep. So this is what I went through the day – well, in addition to my hand. I'm also having these crazy fever dreams – and not that anyone cares about the dreams I'm having, but I think you might find this one of interest because of the subject. Okay. So uh, it starts off, uh, me and a bunch of people that apparently I know, I don't know who any of them are, but apparently I'm friends with all these people, and we're going to a comedy show, and we're all going to do a little bit of time. We're going to do like five-minute sets, right? Normally that's like an open mic or something like that. You that's know? what it sounds like. like or some, at best a showcase. Exactly, one of those type of shows. Well, in this, in this dream... It was a uh, packed 3,000-seat arena <laughs> that I'm, I'm going to do a five-minute set. It's, still, it's a, a five-minute set. Who cares? And you're at the Beacon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get there, and, and I'm next to one of the other comics. And he goes, man, this is bullshit. Uh, you know, all these people are here to see me, and they put you in the prime spot. 
And I'm like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> and I, and I, so I go backstage and I see the set list and I'm doing 30 minutes in the middle of the show. And, and in context, I don't, I don't normally do, I haven't done stand up in years. Right, right. 30 minutes is, you might as well ask me to, uh, you know, build a nuclear bomb. I don't know, you know, but, um, so I'm panicking, you know, and, uh, there's a, there's a trunk of props backstage. And uh, now I don't recognize any of these people in my dream except for one. And that is the man, this guy behind the trunk of props, doling them out, I guess. I don't know. And then there's a guy standing in front of it. And you would never guess in a million years. It's Sam Roberts from the Jim and Sam show. Oh, okay. Who I've never met. The last professional broadcaster. Yeah. And we've talked, I've met Jim a couple times. We talked about that recently. Yeah, and, and met, uh, spotted yeah, at bars. I spoke to him once, but um, <laughs> no, he's actually, that, that's the extent of it. Correct? I had a conversation with him the first time, not the second time, which was a few weeks ago. Well, it would have been nice if you had transposed that onto the story you told us a few weeks ago. Can I get back? Where to nothing happened. Can I get back to my dream? Yeah, yeah. So, free. so Sam, Sam Roberts Sam is Roberts doling is, out props. No, he's he's the the other guy is doling out props. Sam Roberts is, I guess. I guess he's going to do five minutes. <laughs> so he's loading up on props. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I do know I find my own set list in this trunk of props, which, frankly, is, is where my, my set list would belong. <laughs> That's entirely appropriate. But also serendipitous because you've been uh, bestowed with something that is uh, of value in that moment. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at it like, okay, I guess I can bring something. I, I don't recognize any of this stuff on it because it's a weird dream. But I'm thinking, okay, you know, I got something. But as I'm looking at it, I realize I'm already supposed to be on stage. Like, they're just waiting for me. So I walk out, and I'm not walking out on the stage. I'm walking out into the back of the venue so that I'm facing the crowd. The crowd's in front of me, and the stage is in front of them, right? I'm in the back. So I'm like, oh, and they're all mad. They're angry that they're sitting there while nothing is happening. So I'm like, well, I, I got I to gotta come out big, right? So I come out, and I do the, hey! And I'm trying to do high, high five, like run down the aisle high-fiving everyone. Oh, yeah, like Sinbad. Ex Sinbad, exactly. Yeah. Right? And, and these, Steve, these assholes hate me <laughs> so much that not, they, they, they're not sitting there like this. They're, they're, they actively turn. So that instead of me running down the aisle high-fiving everyone, I have to stop and individually high-five and jump up because they're, like, above me for some reason. Jump up and high-five each of these 3,000 audience members that hate me. And I, unfortunately, I woke up before I got to any of the actual comedy. But, uh, yeah, it was, these are the types of dreams you have under antihistamines. It so. <laughs> sounds so you, you would consider that a nightmare, correct? That, yeah, like, I mean, it's a common dream, like something you're not prepared for, you know, but I always had it, like, I show up at school and, like, I haven't been going to class all semester, you know, whatever, stuff like that. Yeah, I have that one. Yeah, I've never had it uh, come to fruition in this form, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, well, uh, your brain put a unique spin. I mean, in the end, I had a laugh because that's, at least, you know, once you wake up, it's like, oh, that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. So, uh, shall we do our movie of the week of the week? Let's get to it. All right, let's hit the intro. <laughs>
Our movie of the week of the week this week is entitled Hotline, and it aired on the CBS television network on October 16th, 1982. It stars Linda Carter. Yes. Now, was this, she was, of course, most known as Wonder Woman. Right. Was this while the show was still going on, or was this afterward? This was uh, three years following uh, the end of Wonder Woman. Oh, I thought it went longer into the uh, 80s than that, but no. Well, if anyone is not familiar with who she is, uh, we have a little clip here to, to show everyone. Interesting scene selection. She was the, like, at this point in time, possibly the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah, she's a lovely gal. Miss uh, Universe, 1972. Or Miss World. I'm sorry, Miss World. Can we, uh, Jim, pause it? Oh, wait, not yet. Oh, we missed it. There was a good moose knuckle matinee going on there. We, we missed when she's in that outfit. But uh, we, I think, I think we get the, uh, I think we get the picture. All right. So, uh, yeah. So Linda Carter. J- Jim really wants to see it. So I think we're going back. Like a couple seconds forward, and you. <laughs> so Linda Carter, TV's Wonder Woman, beautiful uh, eyes, yeah, stunning eyes. In fact, uh, later on, I think in the '90s, uh, she was probably the thing she's second best known for is probably her endorsement of uh, mascara. No, uh, mail order contact lenses. Oh, okay. She did all those commercials, and I think the the process, the thought process. Be, be, um, behind hiring her for that gig was that people are stupid. Yeah. Because she has uh, just uh, stunning pale blue eyes. Right. And I think, the, I think they thought, well, if she endorses our contact lenses, people are dumb enough to think that they'll look like Linda Carter yeah. if they buy our contact lenses. Meanwhile, your eyes look the same. The lenses are transparent. Yeah, although I have seen girls who do colored contact lenses and sometimes to amazing results. Um. But, but I, I don't think these were uh, cosmetic. Yeah, they're lenses. just regular. These were these were just your prescription. Prescription. Transparent. So um, <clears throat> yeah. So Linda Carter plays. She, she plays an aspiring artist who works at a bartender, as a bartender at a place called Kyle's. Yeah. So let's take a look as she makes her way to work. Now I picked a scene, Steve, because uh, this is her. She finally ends her drive. Yeah. We're almost four minutes into the movie, and all we've seen is her driving this car through California while they're opening credits roll. Now, this is a huge peeve of yours. Yeah. You, you just sunk four minutes right off the top into nothing. Why would anyone do this? I, I don't get it. I, they, had to fill, they had to fill the t- network time, and they, they just write another scene that has meaning to it. I don't get why they do this. So uh, I'm thinking now, well, this, this movie's not going to be any good. But things, things start getting interesting pretty quickly. Yeah, and that aspect of filmmaking, uh, made-for-TV filmmaking, does not bother me as it bothers you. Yeah, it really bothers me. But when I was watching this uh, the first time, I thought, oh, man, this, this opening is really going to piss Chris off. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, she arrives at Kyle's. Here's what, here's what happens as she enters. <laughs> Whoa, here we are. I'm on my two, sweetheart. I'm sorry, yeah, I know. Barney. Pause, pause. 
You know who that is, right, Chris? I have an inkling. You guessed it, Frank Stallone. I don't know. Did you want to say that? I don't know. No, I wanted you to say oh, okay. that. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, let's continue. <laughs> no, you ain't Indian, so you're lucky. Good. Look, uh, Scotch from the rocks here and vodka down the end. It's trouble. Okay. All right. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Thanks. Hi, Brian. Hi there. I need two. Nice, sweetheart. I need two bourbon and sodas, two baggies, one with that salt. You know, Brian, I think there's a full moon out tonight. The fanny grabbers are out in force. Well, just keep smiling, honey. Easy for you to say you're back there. I'm black and blue. <laughs> Next time one of them does it, why don't you give him the old Bronx shampoo? <laughs> Thanks. I can't keep up with this 70s lingo. Okay, stop. So, so far, we've heard fanny grabbers and Bronx shampoo. I yeah. can guess what the first means, right. obviously. Yeah. But what is a Bronx shampoo? Well, I don't know if we're going to see it in this clip. But uh, it does occur. It appears on camera. Okay. She takes um, Linda Carter's advice oh, okay. and gives a patron a Bronx shampoo. She uh, pours his drink all over his head. Uh, what, what, was the Bronx that bad that, like, because I've heard of a Bronx cheer. Yeah, that's a now, raspberry. Right. And now I'm hearing of a Bronx. Like, why was it always the Bronx? Like, <laughs> Do you think if modern parlance it would be the, the Kensington shampoo? <laughs> Perhaps the, the Pettigrew Heights. Uh, <laughs> how do you do? <laughs> All right, let's continue. Hey, sweet meat. Another drink down here. Sweet okay. meat's pretty great, too. Yeah, well, I think he, he heard Frank Stallone call her sweetheart, but he misunderstood. <laughs> That might be what that is. In fact, she's called a few things in this scene. As I said, uh, Frank Stallone calls her sweetheart. Uh, this guy calls her sweet meat. And, but it's the waitress, the barmaid, who uh, calls her by her correct name in this film. Okay. And that is what, Chris? Brian. Yeah. They gave her a man's name for no reason. Like, I get that maybe... You might be a woman that has a man's name. That happens. Sure. And vice versa. But if you're writing a movie, I don't, again, much like the intro, I don't understand the purpose of it. Well, Chris, I have a theory about this. And uh, if you look at the credits, the character's name is actually spelled Brienne. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So why do all the characters refer to her as Brian? They can't read? (laughs) Here's my theory. Okay. I have a theory. I don't have any evidence to back this up. This is pure conjecture, but I think I know why everyone in this movie calls her Brian. Brienne, as it's spelled mm-hmm. in the script and in the credits, that's one of those made-up names that just turned up a few decades ago. There is nobody Linda Carter's age named Brienne. Right. I believe the screenwriter is one of those people who, uh, whose friends were having daughters and started naming them Brienne. Yeah. So he did the same. He jumped right on that bandwagon as it rolled out of Detroit. At the same time, he's working on a teleplay. And it features a strong female lead who embodies all of the traits he hopes his daughter will grow to exhibit. Oh, boy. So he names the character Brienne. He submits the script. CBS picks it up, mails him a check, puts it into production, and now he's off the clock. And his association 
with uh, the whole project is over. Yeah, that's usually how it works. He never appears on set. In fact, by this time, he has a lot more going on as his wife is now pregnant with Hunter. Yeah. So the movie is cast, the scripts go out, and no one involved from this point on has ever seen or heard the name Brianne. Yeah. So they all just assumed it was supposed to be named Brian. It's an odd choice, they figured, but all right, we'll roll with it. Yeah. We didn't write it. Who are we to criticize? <laughs> Now, I should point out that this film has two writers. And let's see, Chris, if you can determine which one foisted the name Brienne onto the project and had it blow up in his face, all right? Oh. Was it the nephew of acclaimed Hollywood director Sam Peckinpah? Hmm. Or was it the other guy, who never won an Emmy, but is a member of the Disc Golf Hall of Fame, and whose other notable work, his only other notable work, is a book called Frisbee, Practitioner's Manual and Definitive Treatise. Was it the guy who, Chris, as a younger man, may have visited his uncle at work on the set of The Getaway? Or the guy who can't stop throwing Frisbees around and typing up the results? (laughs) So anyway, you're going to hear the name Brian a lot. They're talking about Linda Carter. I mean, they even had to say at one point when she answers the phone, Hi, my name is Brian. Yeah, I know. It's normally a guy's name. Right. Like, I think that was added in on the set. Right. Why because not, I thought it, eventually they thought, okay, we're going to have to explain this Brian lunacy. Why not just change the name instead of having to go through these hoops <laughs> that they're jumping through? <laughs> right. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to point out that uh, Frank Stallone, I think he's in one more scene. He is. But he we're had, not going to see that scene. Yeah, but he has less lines in this film then uh, you and I had to learn for the 30-second commercial we just filmed for this show. <laughs> so I don't know how much he got paid for this, but <laughs> it's nice to have uh, a brother who just recently won an Oscar, you know, a few years before. So uh, I guess we're going to jump back into this. Now, in this next scene, it's now closing time at Kyle's. An incoming patron arrives. Tub thumping? I get no are they playing tub thumping? No. I get no is that, is that customary to? Uh, is that closing time? Tub thumping. Is that customary time. at bars to play tub Wait, thumping? Am I mixing? Am I mixing up two songs? I don't know. Uh, you're thinking? Oh, the, the lager drink and the whiskey drink. Yes, that's uh, tub thumping by Chumbawamba. Yeah, closing time is a whole different song. That's semi-sonic. Semi-sonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it's closing time. An incoming patron arrives, and the guy at the end of the bar, the guy who calls her sweetmeat, he has a proposition for Brian. Where's the phone, miss? It's right over there. That's not him. No, that's the newcomer. That's another guy. Night. Hey, baby. Well, you and me getting a little nightcap down at the beach bar. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, it's way past my bedtime. Or maybe a little taste back in my motel? You gotta be kidding. Listen, honey. <laughs> I tipped you over $20 tonight. Don't that entitle me to a little something? Yes, it entitles you to... Thank you, a smile, and good night. Hey, look here. Where I come from, if a broad were to do something like that, then... Hey, jerk. Why don't you take your $20 in tips and get the hell out? Hey, listen, uh, we're both on edge. I'm tired, you've had a lot to drink, and it's been a hell of a long day. So why don't we just forget tonight and start all over from scratch? Yeah. You know, when you hit on a bartender and she responds with, you've got to be kidding. Uh, 
you know, your chances aren't good. <laughs> well, maybe violence is the answer in his yeah. mind, right? Yeah. So this uh, newcomer stands idly by while that other guy, Jeremy's her piven. Allegedly. <laughs> it seems odd, but we learn that uh, he has a good reason for not stepping in. His name is Justin Price, by the way, Chris. Okay. He was in all of Brian's diplomatic skills, and we'll have more on that in a bit. Okay. So Justin asks for a coffee. She pours him some. She closes up, heads home, and jumps in the shower. Yeah. As she emerges, Brian hears a persistent... And by the way, you don't... It, we would have played the shower scene if it were worth watching. It, it's not worth it. It was CBS it. in 1982. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she gets out of the shower, enrobed, and uh, answers a persistent knock on her door. Who is it? It's uh, Justin Price. We just met at the bar. Well, that's not uh, creepy yeah. at all. What do you want? Are you okay? Sure, I'm okay. Why shouldn't I be? Well, I, I saw that drunk follow you out of the parking lot, and I tried to follow him. I sort of lost you. You sure you're okay? Yes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Price. It's uh, really thoughtful of you, but place is all locked up, and I'm fine. I appreciate your concern, but I'm very tired, and uh, maybe I'll see you another time. Good night. Good night. Your door's open. <gasps> but I think he's gone. Who's gone? The guy who forced the door. Yeah. I mean, this doesn't seem like appropriate behavior from anyone going on here. No, but uh, Brian sees nothing out about Justin's involvement in this whole thing. Yeah. She does call the cops, and uh, Justin does stay with her as uh, they show up and they report the incident. Yeah. Now, Justin is a doctor, and he runs a crisis center, a ca- or, or a slash uh, stroke, whatever you want to call it, suicide hotline. He thought she handled herself splendidly when that guy accosted her at the bar. So he says she should stop by the center and uh, take some calls from desperate folks in need of hope. So Brian takes Justin to lunch. By the way, she at this point, she is a, a college student with a full-time job, correct? Yeah, she's studying art and bartending. Yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, well, why not add something else? Yeah, yes. I and I believe this is a volunteer position. I think it is. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, they go out to lunch, and Justin is, he becomes starstruck when he sees a film star has entered the restaurant. Is that Tom Hunter? That's him. I bet he was your hero when you were younger, right? He still is. I bet I've seen every picture he's ever made. You want me to get his autograph for you? I dare you. Excuse me, Mr. Hunter, but may I please have your autograph? Hey, 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 Bart, look who it is. Hey, I think your best girl is slipping around on you. Justin, I'd like for you to meet my boss, Kyle Durham. Hello, and, of course, uh, Mr. Tom Hunter. This is Dr. Justin Price. Mr. Hunter, it's a great pleasure to meet you. I'm one of your biggest fans. You look sensational, honey. Let's get together real soon. Come on, Kyle. See you tonight, Brian. So that there we're seeing now, that's the Kyle who owns the bar where Brian works. His next stunt double for Tom Hunter. Yeah. Tom's the actor Justin just wanted to meet there. Yeah, he's also a silent partner in the bar. Right. And he also once had a romantic relationship with Brian. 
it i mean that was implied i don't know that's that that's ever made explicit but uh yeah that is implied yeah, yeah. so brian does agree to volunteer at the call center where she meets crisis counselor rick hernandez yeah i know it hurts uh, but sometimes it helps the pain to go away if you share it with a friend. Okay, man, but uh, you got the promise you're going to call me right back. Yeah, I'm going to be waiting for you. Yeah, later. Okay. Check it out. Dude went to get himself a sandwich because he was hungry. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Rick Hernandez. Hi. Welcome. Yeah, Rick Hernandez is played by Harry Waters Jr. Do you know what his best-known role is, Chris? Um... Why don't you tell us? <laughs> Marvin Berry in Back to the Future. Chuck, it's Marvin, your cousin, Marvin Berry. Now, I guess it was after this role in Hotline where he became typecast as Guy on Phone. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? That guy wanted to get a sandwich. <laughs> Ain't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? <laughs> guy wanting a sandwich. <laughs> So Brian settles in and takes her first call. It's from a runaway. And to be fair, she does tell, tell the caller that, yes, her name is Brian. That, that's uh, the exchange you referenced earlier. Yeah. And she does say it's spelled different, by which she means differently. Um, <laughs> they can't pronounce anything right in this film, can they? Yeah. So she convinces the runaway to call home. What we don't see is that the runaway does call home, only for her mother to be disappointed that the call isn't from Chris. Oh, her manganess, right, of course. Right, right, So later on, back at Kyle's, Tom Hunter tries to rekindle his romance with Brian. He's the film star. He's married. Oh, come on, honey. What's the matter? Listen, you just tell me what I have to do to get things the way they used to be. You know how I feel about you. Let's not make things difficult, Tom. You're a good guy. I like you. That's all. I'm not a good guy. Sorry to break up the party, old bunny, but uh, if you want to make the first race, we got to leave real soon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Kyle's, it seems like Kyle's kind of trying to uh, get him away from hitting, hitting on her. Providing a buffer. Yeah, yeah, ex yeah. And I, I think the reason he, uh, what he says is, uh, she's my employee, she's a good employee. Right. If you don't stop harassing her, uh, I might lose her as an employee. That's what he implies in yeah. what he says thereafter. Well, it turns out Justin was right. He's the guy who runs the call center. Justin was right about Bryn's communications, Brian's communication skills. She's thriving at the call center. But then things take a turn. Let's take a look. Could you repeat that, sir? Uh, I'm not sure I understood. Yeah, turn up the game. Turn up the game. There you go. What bad things did you do? Inflict pain and suffering to hurt them. You hurt them? Yes, all of them, and I enjoy it. Do you think that's wrong? Who did you hurt? I want you to tell me. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't catch me like that. Yeah. So this guy calls when Brian is on duty. Yeah. If anyone else answers the phone, for example, Marvin Berry, he hangs up immediately. Right. And in his calls, he alludes to crimes from long ago, as well as a string of unsolved murderers taking place in present day 
in and around L.A. Yeah, I had a. He speaks in like um, riddle. He's almost like the Riddler. Yeah, he speaks in like poetic verse that needs to be deciphered. And uh, I, I mean, I couldn't follow any of. That. I was okay, whatever, you know. Well, his exact words don't need to be heard or understood. Yeah, to get the general sense of what's going on. Right. Um. <clears throat> so the LAPD are actively investigating a local serial killer. But are they, Chris? Oh, I don't know. Are they? Well, because uh, Brian visits a detective to talk about these calls. After several of these come in from the same uh, alleged caller. But the detective tells her he doesn't know what to do about this. But if she wants to collect evidence herself, she's more than welcome to. Justin, again, he's the doctor. He runs the call center. He doesn't want the crisis center's phones being tapped. Because if word got out, it would discourage desperate people from calling who need help but want to re- who want to remain anonymous. Yeah, he's probably also opening himself up to a massive lawsuit. Right, but, yeah. right. Maybe and we have somebody that could help him out with that. Yeah, in fact, I think this would be a good time to pause for a word from our sponsor. Have you been the victim of harassing, obscene phone calls that double as confessions to serial murders? It's time to fight back. Sure, you could get caller ID, but why not call us instead? We will sue the shit out of that. Have you heard of RICO laws? Well, I just did, and I think they might apply in this case. Well, they don't, but we do have a guy looking into it right now. Contact us, and once he finds the appropriate tort to file under, we'll go to bat for you. And don't forget, this month only, we're celebrating our recent rebarment by offering you a special 90-10 split on any settlement received on your behalf. Imagine what you could do with 10% of, say, a $12,000 settlement. And all for taking a few awkward phone calls and 10 to 12 hours of depositions on non-consecutive Wednesdays. We're the law offices of Monganess and Albano. Google us. Do not use Yelp. So Brian, who thinks she's been deputized and not just brushed off by an apathetic police department... She buys a device to record the calls herself, kind of uh, tap the phones in reverse. Right. So here, a salesman demonstrates the process. Now, we stick this end on the receiver. Mm-hmm. The other end, we plug into our tape recorder, where it's his microphone. Okay. Make sure you've got a cassette in there ready to go. Now, I'll dial a number. And when somebody comes on the line, I'll press the record button. Okay? So far. Let's go. Hello, darling. Listen, I'm going to be a little late tonight. I've got to hook up a stereo system for a customer. I love you, too. Goodbye, darling. All right, let's hear this call Hello. back. Hello, darling. Who are you calling? Listen, I'm going to be a little late tonight. Just, just what? I've got to hook up a stereo system for a customer. What are you, some kind of a nut? Listen, you pervert, what do you think you're doing? I love you, too. I'm calling the cops. Goodbye, darling. But what it is, this is a beautiful piece. Yeah, that's an odd call to make at random. Yeah, it's a weird sales pitch when someone calls in concerned about prank calls. 
and you proceed to make a prank call <laughs> in order to sell them the thing that they came in for. Did, did he think that she was uh, like doing a jerky boys crank <laughs> anchors type of thing? Like, oh, I'm, I'm totally misunderstood. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was, but let's talk about the hothead on the other end. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, uh, wouldn't you first say, I'm afraid you have the wrong number. Right. Before name-calling and threatening to get the law involved? <laughs> I'd like to think that the salesman calls the same number every time he demonstrates <laughs> that item. And it's the number of a particularly gruff gym teacher he had in junior high. And that guy's just fed up with all the bizarre calls. He has no idea where they're coming from. He doesn't remember the British kid he taught. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, Tom Hunter, he invites Brian and Justin onto his fishing boat. Yeah, I wanted to play this clip because it reminds me of uh, my ex-wife and I entertaining guests in the in the 2000s. Okay. <laughs> We're gallons of margaritas. Come on, Brian. Well, was, I, think, I think I may have mistimed that clip. Because, uh, can we go back a bit and see this? Um, just, just a few seconds. Yeah, like 105.40. I'm going to mix this up a couple of gallons of margaritas. <laughs> Come on, Brian. It's your professional advice. Yeah. We had a lot of house Plenty guests of at, that, <laughs> at that point in time. <laughs> Three? Uh-huh. Three? Yeah. It didn't matter. There were going to be gallons of margaritas made regardless. So now with her new contraption... Brian is now recording the shadowy calls. The strange whispery man, he now refers to himself as the barber, because I guess he cuts the women's hair before he kills them. Yeah. Um, he leaves poetic clues for her to pursue. You made reference to this earlier. He's yeah. uh, very poetic. You he, uh, he, uh, referred to him as the Riddler, being akin to the Riddler. Yeah, was, yeah, because she needs to interpret this poetic verse into what actually he's talking about. Yeah, and he kind of sends her on a scavenger hunt. Yeah. He talks about uh, unsolved murders in London and New York, and he claims responsibility for those. At one point, she flies to Reno mm -hmm. to interview a mental patient who I guess may have revealed something about who this murderer is or was the murderer himself. No, the mental patient was a former detective, if I remember correctly, which maybe I'm not, but... That, that was my impression. Okay. Yeah, I was a little confused there. It, but, was, it was confusing. Yeah, yeah, but through all this, she gets no closer to winnowing down who the barber is. Meanwhile, she and Justin, again, the doctor, runs the call center. They begin a romance, and he tries to help her solve the mystery. The barber begins to uh, threaten Brian directly. Now, we're going to jump way ahead to where Justin tells Brian... He's nailed down a prime suspect. Okay. I spent the morning in the Motion Picture Academy in their archives. You're not going to start on Tom Hunter again, are you? Just, just, just listen. In 1970, the time of the first murder, Tom Hunter was on location in London, England. Christmas 1972, he was making a picture in New York. And we certainly know where he was at the time of the last killing. Right here in town. I just... I just don't believe it. Well, bear with me. Will you help me check out a couple of things? Yeah. So, as you can see, Brian is skeptical that Tom Hunter might be the barber. Especially since one of the murders happened in Reno, 
and Tom's whereabouts are accounted for during that time. He was in Idaho shooting a picture. All right. But Kyle innocently blows a hole into that alibi. Let's take a look. Here you go. Thank you. You feeling okay? Get you later, Brian. He should give up tennis. It's not doing his back any good. Nothing wrong with his back. Weren't for his ego. Whatever that means. A few years ago, we were shooting a western up in Twin Falls. Tom decided that he could really do it all. Except the old pony was riding. She had a different idea. Threw him right onto some rocks. Almost broke his back. I've never heard that story before. Well, not too many people have. The uh, studio didn't want the public finding out that their top hero couldn't even stay on a low, low horse. We smuggled him into a private clinic down in Reno and shot around him till he healed up. But don't tell him I told you. He's, uh, he's vain as hell about it. <laughs> Bang to rights, Chris. Yeah. But even more evidence against Tom Hunter piles up. That night, the barber calls Brian and threatens her during her shift while Tom is downstairs hoping a, hosting a private party. Tom is the actor that we were just talking about. Yes. Who got hurt being thrown from a pony. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Kyle confirms that there's a payphone in the downstairs men's room. Yeah, sure. Why not? I've seen that. Payphone in the men's room. Was it right? In, in, is it in one of the stalls? <laughs> <laughs> what am I hearing? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> So at closing time, closing instead of calling time. the police, Ryan calls Marvin Berry. Jeff, it's Marvin, your cousin, Marvin Berry. But only to ask <laughs> if Justin has called the crisis center. He has not. See, um, Justin, he's en route from Santa Barbara, where he's opening another branch of the call center. Mm. None of that matters other, to, other than to establish that Justin may be on his way to collect Brian. So instead of then calling the police, Brian leaves herself vulnerable in the bar, virtually alone. She's somewhat relieved when Tom says he's going home. That's the actor. Right. Who she believes to be the barber, and rightfully so, given all this evidence. But that feeling of security is quickly interrupted. Justin? Justin, is that you? No, Brian, it's me. The game is over. You lose. Now, I'd point out that she doesn't call the police here either, but you already knew as much. Right. Instead, she flees to the entrance, which is uh, chained and locked from the inside. She hears footsteps. What would be the purpose of chain and locking a door from the inside of a place that opens daily? Does that make much sense? Well, this might be the gambit of uh, the gambit of who we um, are about to see. Oh, it wasn't done by the. This wasn't gotcha. a regular gotcha. event. Okay. In closing the bar, this was an anomaly. Uh, right. That makes more sense. In order to set up 
what we see unravel next. Let's see this. So Kyle reveals himself to be the barber. Yeah. While wearing a disguise. I guess. Yeah. I think that was the disguise, not the disguise, but the makeup and, uh, and fake beard he would wear as Tom's stunt double. Oh, is that what was going on? Yeah. I, you know, I was like, why did they give this guy the eye things? The, the, uh, the, yeah, the eyeliner and the, the fake uh, goatee or beard, whatever's going on here. But uh, I don't see the purpose of that because your victim knows who you are. You're about to kill her. Why do you need a disguise? Oh, I guess he's just getting in the mood, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's it's an elaborate thing to murder someone, probably, so... Sure, you, you want to make it... You, you want to add pageantry to it? Yeah, I would think so. So he abducts Brian and uh, takes her outside while cutting her hair because he is the barber, after all. Yeah. He's cutting in a strutting. He admits he's about to kill her for stringing Tom along. Yeah. Yeah, so it turns out that he was actually, he's actually like, I guess, sort of in love with Tom. And uh, he wants to protect him. Like as a brother, he wants to protect him from a hussy, I think as he would see it. (laughs) Right. And that's also, uh, it turns out, uh, it's implied that all the other victims of the barber were people, uh, women who had brief relationships with Tom. Right, yeah. Now, uh, the LAPD could have figured this out if they had just looked into it instead of racking up high scores on Dig Dug or whatever was going on over there at the time yeah. that was more important than listening to Brian. Well, there was a black guy with one-eighth of a gram of cocaine, so <laughs> that, uh, that tied up the whole police department for months. <laughs> it was a different time. So uh, Justin does show up. I guess all this is happening right outside of the bar. He takes her outside, and I guess there's a wooded area adjacent, and that's where he's cutting her hair and telling her that he's going to kill her. And uh, Justin does show up, but he doesn't see what's going on. His headlights distract Kyle, though, and Brian escapes his clutches. Yeah. Well, she kind of beats him up a little bit in the process. Yeah, she fights back. Well, after all, she is Wonder Woman. Right. Now, um, here's what happens. Brian makes it home, but Kyle gives chase. And I'll bet Frisbee Boy also has a kiss called Chase. (laughs) So Brian is now cornered in her own home. Justin has not yet arrived. But just before he does, Brian shoots Kyle fatally through the heart with, uh, what, is she, what does she shoot him it's with? It's a spear gun. <laughs> a like harpoon. He, well, not a harpoon. You wouldn't call that a harpoon? No, that's a spear gun. It's used for spear fishing. Okay. Under, underwater. A harpoon is out of, out, above the water. That's uh, used underwater, what she shoots him with. All right. Well, I didn't know that. This is subaquatic. Yes. Okay. 
Gotcha. So um, that's pretty much where the movie ends. Yeah, she kills him. And uh, it, it was a, uh, how surprised were you by this ending? Well, we'll get to that in a bit before we rate it, because I do want to talk about my surprise. So okay. I think we should do that uh, talk about your surprise as well. But uh, shall we do the YouTube comment? Oh, please. Of the week first. This is from Lucy Maston. She commented, there's nothing unintentionally hilarious about this movie. I guess other folks were commenting that it was uh, unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. I didn't see any of those comments. I guess uh, perhaps they were deleted. Not only did I not see that comment, I did not see this one. Either, <laughs> which makes me think you copped it off of another movie. But <laughs> No, but, no. You know, but this know. comment remained. Uh, yeah, nothing unintentionally hilarious about this movie. Only your mom is intentionally hilarious for having the video poster. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the end of that. I, yeah, do you think they made posters for this movie? I, I was that, is that, if that's I, a thing, Steve, I, I think it's a whole, we have a whole new thing of collecting posters <laughs> of all these bad TV movies that we've been reviewing. <laughs> if, if they actually made posters for these, but I, I don't know. I have a suggestion. This is from a non native English speaker. Okay. And by the video poster, she means someone posting a comment under the video. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That, but, makes, uh, I don't. that makes way more sense than what I was rambling <laughs> on about. Okay. Well, uh, anything else uh, you'd like to say about this before we rate it? No, no. And I'll just, you know, it was it was pretty good. Um, I wasn't. I felt like they had there was such a narrow field of suspects, right? You know, it was either Justin Price, the doctor, Kyle, the bar owner, or the Tom, the movie actor. There was never anyone else in consideration. It could have been the guy in the beginning who referred to her as sweet meat. She may have be, he may have began stalking her. Yeah, but they would have had to, you know, they would have had to take that four minute chunk that they spent film driving a car driving around, and actually developed his character beyond that one scene in order to make that plausible. So I, I wasn't very surprised just because it was there was only three suspects. So I'm go, I'm going to downgrade it for that reason as a murder mystery, and I'm going to give it uh, two and a half. Two and a half Meredith Baxters. Wow. I'm a little surprised. I went with four wow. out of five Meredith Baxters. Yeah. And for the opposite reason, I didn't see it coming that Kyle was the barber. And though we can never factor out that there's every, there's every chance that I'm dumb, I'd like to think the twist surprised me because the way the story is told. The movie seemed to be saying, okay, we all know Tom is the murderer, the real suspense now is how he's going to be found out, how he's See, going to get caught. I, so I, stick around. I honestly thought they were setting Justin, the doctor, up as the as the prime suspect. Yes, because it seemed that way. Yeah. Um, uh, before Tom was revealed to be the most likely suspect. Yeah. Um, I thought it was odd how uh, Justin was never a suspect. I think, no, I believe there was one point where she writes a name on a tablet of paper. Do you remember this? Uh, yes. We don't, we don't see what name she writes. Well, I think just because the video quality is so bad, that's the only reason we didn't see it. But I think she wrote his name on there. And I, th I think it was implied throughout that. Because they, they uh, together listed uh, all the suspects. Yeah. And he said, well, who else? Yeah. And she wrote a name down. And yes, it is implied that she wrote his name down. Right. But perhaps um, kind of playfully, but also in a way that suggested, you know, I, I'm still looking at you, buddy. Yeah. But also kind of to 
point out the flaw in his logic of you're as likely as any of these guys. Right, right, so, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. But yeah, and you see, now that we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, it was pretty well done. Maybe two and a half was a little low. I'll tell you, I would have gone higher if they'd sexed up Linda Carter a lot more. This easily could have been a five. But, you but know. Uh, yeah, but she, she's so pretty. She is. How could you not enjoy watching Linda Carter? Oh, for I did. I mean, there's scenes we didn't play where she's just wearing like jeans and like a normal top and mm, top notch. Yeah, beautiful yeah. gal. Beautiful gal. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I thought s- switching to Kyle as the true heel was a nice twist, and it really gave me chills when he appeared. Oh, okay. Well, with the eyeshadow, probably. <laughs> Maybe that's what it, the uncanny valley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, anything we didn't talk about you might want to talk about? No, I think, I think we're done. Okay, in that case, I think we did it. Thank you so much, Chris Morganti. All right. And thank you, Jim. Uh, we'll see you next time. I'm the bull of American broadcasting. Oski Wee Wee. Oski Wawa. All the Magano. Tigers. Eat them raw. We did it, sir.